you got a Bible, turn to 1 John. You say, man, we have been turning to 1 John a lot. And we have. We have been working our way um, through this little pastoral epistle um, by uh, John. And um, we are going to be here this morning. And then next Sunday and the Sunday after will be two messages in 1 John chapter 4. And then we're going to have Pastor Josh going to preach one message in John, uh, 1 John chapter 5. And then I'm going to finish it out. So we got four more weeks after this week and then we're going to be moving on. But 1 John, as you know, uh, was written by the Apostle John. Not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John. John who wrote the Revelation and those who wrote the Gospel of John. Um, John was known as the disciple who loved Jesus. John the Beloved, and he was also known as John the Son of Thunder. So really, in John, you kind of get a little sugar and you get a little spice, right? He was, uh, he was gentle as a dove, but yet he was fierce as a lion sometimes. And uh, that's what makes a good shepherd, right? He, he was a shepherd of God's people. He was a great uh, shepherd. And shepherds sometimes need to be gentle as a dove when those are suffering, when those are going through hard times. It takes a compassionate heart to come alongside people. And then also when people are attacking the sheep. They need to be fierce as a lion. They need to be quick to uh, come to the rescue and oppose uh, false teachings and oppose Satan and oppose um, division amongst the body of Christ. And in John, you see that. We read where he says, to my beloved, to my dear children, to my little children. He is soft as like a dove. And yet other times you read, you are a liar. You do not know God. You are of your father, the devil. And, and we see both ways here. And um, have you ever heard of the joke where the devil showed up to church one morning? And uh, you know the devil goes to church, right? Don't point any fingers. No, I just say so. He, 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 he showed up to church one Sunday morning, and the devil went around the whole church, and all of a sudden, people started fleeing. The pastor ran out the back door. You know, the, the music pastor ran out one door. They, they were all left. Everyone was scared to death. They, they just took off running, and except for one older guy. He was sitting down on the front row, and he was sitting there just completely unbothered, could care less. And what does he even, did not run, did not scream. He was just sitting there calmly. And so the devil whirled around, got right in his face, and looked at him and says, what is wrong with you? Don't you know who I am? And the man just gently replied to him and said, yes, I've been living with your sister for 50 years. <laughs> Uh, that didn't have to do my sermon. If you look at 1 John chapter 3, <laughs> verse 18 through 24, I want to read it and then we'll go back and take a look at it. It says, my, dear, my little children, another endearing term by John, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We covered this scripture last week. And by this we know that we are of the truth and we shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, uh, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. 
I must admit, when you begin to read this portion of Scripture here, it is kind of hard to understand. And there are, uh, it is it's, it's equally hard to understand in the Greek. Literally, the sentence structure and the uh, actual language here is difficult. And mostly centered around verse 20. Uh, verse 20, that says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And so immediately you begin to think, what is John talking about? What is John talking about? How can our heart condemn us? But God is greater than our heart and that he knows all things. Well, I hope as we continue to work through this, this morning, hopefully it will get a little more clearer to you by the time we get to the end of these scriptures. And some important contextual truths or understand that we have about these verses. One was John was writing this little letter to expose or confront false teachers. These false teachers had come into the church. They were known as the Gnostics. They had began to teach a false gospel, a false doctrine. They were questioning who Jesus Christ was, and they were questioning the salvation. And they began to teach a false doctrine, and then all of a sudden it led to, led to false converts. So the church was growing, and all of a sudden the false converts decided to leave with these false teachers. And so the church was looking, and many of them were left in distraught, saying, what in the world, what is true and what is not true? And so John wrote this letter to expose these false teachers to call them out. And we have seen this several times in this uh, little letter where John calls out these false teachers. But also, he was writing this letter to, uh, to, com to comfort and to affirm true teachers. These true believers who were suffering, who were going through trials, who were going through tough times, I'm sure as many of us go through hard times and tough times, they were throwing up their hands saying, God, you know, what is this about? I'm trying, I believe, but yet my life, I'm hurting, I'm in pain, I'm suffering. This is not going the way we thought it would go. Why would these people desert us? Why would these people desert us? Why would these people deceive us? And so John was exposing and he was comforting. And in the, between those things, as he was writing these things, some things became very clear. One of them was that there were people in the church who were hearing these, uh, these truths being unpacked by the John, and as they read these letters, without question, John's letter exposed some very true and hurtful uh, truths about false converts. And without question, some of them were convicted. Some of those false believers who were still in the church heard this message, and they were thinking in their mind, wait a minute. Something's going on here. He talks about loving the brothers, and he talks about being able to leave behind sin, and he talks about this relationship with God. I don't have that in my life. There is something here that's different because I don't understand what John is talking about. And they wasn't sure. Maybe, maybe I'm not a Christian. And then when they read 1 John's letter, they said, that's it, I'm not a Christian. I, that's not what I believe. That's not what I heard. That's not what I thought was the gospel. And then also, I'm sure there were some that were there and they were thinking, well, here's, uh, here's, here's for me in my heart. I think I'm a Christian and I feel like a Christian sometimes, but sometimes I may not be a Christian. My heart makes me uh, condemned in my life, meaning that it bears witness that I don't love my brothers all the time and I don't uh, do everything I'm supposed to do all the times. And there's, there's a doubt in my mind. I do not have full assurance of that. 
And so in between that, then there were those who were serving the Lord, who was grounded in God's word and the teaching, and they had assurance and salvation. But the question is clear. When you, if you're one of those three or in the category of one of those threes, what John was really getting to in the very first question is, are you a true convert? Are you a true believer in Jesus Christ? And the question still remains for us this morning. Are you a Christian or are you not a Christian? When you read 1 John, the the question becomes very clear. And you can look to the evidence that we have already read and the evidence that he's going to give in the future. And as we read through the whole scripture, we realize that when we are not a Christian, there's only one way that we need, one thing we need to do. We need to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he tells them. If you are not saved, you are a false convert. Number one, you must be saved. You got to be saved. You, you must be saved. And number two, if you are a Christian and you do not have assurance, then how do you get assurance? How do you get the assurance of knowing that you are saved and living in victory? Living in this victory that John is speaking about of loving brothers and sisters in Christ and leaving behind sin and pursuing God's will for your life. And thirdly, if you are a Christian, then then you must be encouraged in the Lord to know that you are on the right track, believing the right things, even in the midst of extreme suffering. And this should encourage your heart. It should push you forward. And so as we begin with the first one, if you have read this or heard this and you realize you are not a Christian, as John says, there is nothing greater than for you to become a genuine Christian. And for us as Christians, sometimes we think uh, as Christians in Western civilization, I'm sure even here in this first church, we take the things of God and we equate them with a relationship with God. So we feel like if we join a church or we do good works or if we get baptized, then we must be a Christian because that's what Christians do. But I might remind you that just because you're in a garage does not make you a car, right? Just because you join this church does not mean you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You should have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean you absolutely have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And many times people are deceived. People think they are a Christian when they're not. In the Bible, we have a great example of this, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the, of the Jews. He was one that they would say was a great leader of a religious leader. And one night he came to Jesus because he had a problem. He knew he knew the law and he knew he wanted to serve God, but he knew he didn't have what Jesus was talking about. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Jesus, I must ask you, what is this that you're talking about, the kingdom of God? And he says, I tell you, Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God and you will not enter the kingdom of God. Only when you are born again, only when you are born from the spirit of God. You see, we don't need someone to tell us how to live better. We don't need a plan to be a better person. We don't need a church to go to to have something to do on Sundays. We don't need something to uh, make us feel good about ourselves. We need the gospel. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins without Jesus Christ. And more than anything else, we need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to be born again, born from the spirit of God. 
And maybe you, over this period of time, have been hearing from 1 John, and you've been reading these scriptures, and you realize, you know what? I've never accepted or believed on the name of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, as we've been here in 1 John, through this whole letter, and even to the end of this letter, there is nothing greater for you to do than to believe on the name of Lord Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, that's kind of scary, or that makes me upset because I've been a church member, and I've been this, and I've been that. So one of the things that happened in my life is I remember it well. I was going to First Baptist Church at Jacksonville, and the, uh, they had a music minister there named Rodney Brooks. He was possibly one of the greatest music ministers that I've ever heard or been around. He led a choir, I don't know, three, 400 people, and uh, he was a great singer. He was a great leader. Uh, you would say that he was born again. He listened to gospel messages Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. He was actively involved in serving in the church and obviously um, employed by the church. And one Sunday night, after he'd been there for 10 or 11 years, as they began to play the invitation song, he put down his little thing he leads the music with, and he walks down to the front, and he says, I've never truly been saved. I need to give my heart to Jesus Christ. And listen, when he says that he, more than anything else in his life, he had trusted in doing good things, joining a church, serving the Lord, but he had never been born again. Listen, 1 John makes it clear. Be sure you are born again. And if you're not a Christian, you need to be born again. Secondly, you may be a Christian, but you don't have assurance. Your assurance of salvation, your confidence in who God is and that you are a Christian, that you have been saved. And a lot of times this assurance is based upon our understanding or our feelings. We are not rooted in God's word. We are not rooted in the things of God. And so we begin to doubt. And, and, and sometimes we feel like we're a Christian. And then there's a periods of time where we don't feel like we're a Christian. And depending on the situation and depending on how your life goes up and down, your assurance goes up and down. Like, like for a period of time when you are doing well and the blessings are flowing, you feel like I'm a Christian. But when tough times come and hard things come, then you feel like, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. And for a period of time, like I said, you're up and you're down. You're saved and you're not saved. And if someone were to talk to you when you were down, you might say, well, I might be a Christian. I really don't know. And then other times you're like, I love Jesus Christ and he's the Lord of my life and you're, you're doing well. And, and you're much like riding in an airplane with turbulence. You know, you get on the plane and everything is smooth. We're going to make it. And then you hit turbulence and everybody's like, we're all going to die, right? And then everything turns smooth again. We're going to make it. No, we're going to die. We're going to make it. We're going to die. Kind of like riding the truck with Tanner when he drives. No, see. <laughs> when we got married, we went to our honeymoon in Lake Tahoe, and we got on the plane, and I was a little nervous about getting on the plane, and people say, hey, listen, what's your problem? If it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And I said, well, what if it's the pilot's time to go? I don't want to be collateral damage, you know? Like, this would be collateral damage. But that's exactly the way some Christians live. Saved, not saved. Blessings and obedience, saved. Suffering and trials, not saved. Uh, Tough times, not saved. uh, Things are not happening. And what happens is your emotions change. And that's exactly what verse 20 is talking about. He's talking about Christians who are so shallow in their faith that they only believe when they feel like they're saved. For if your heart, the word there literally means the shallowest part of your emotions. 
And you know about emotions, they are up and down. He says, for your heart condemns us. Uh, for if, your heart, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. And what John is expressing here, he's saying, you are saved not because of how you feel. Sometimes you feel, sometimes you don't feel. And all of us have wrestled with guilt and shame and pain from our past. And, and the devil brings that to our forefront and we think, wow, how can I be saved if I was that kind of person? Or how can I be saved when I still struggle with loving my brothers or sisters in Christ? John specifically says, if, you, if I don't love my brothers and sisters, then I don't have the love of God in me. If I, do, if I love the world, then I don't love God. And I'm sure some of are saying, wait a minute, I'm struggling here. Am I saved or am I not saved? Because sometimes I love the world and sometimes I don't love the world. Sometimes I love my brother and sister Christ and sometimes they make me upset and I, and I don't love them. Back and forth. And they're struggling. John comes, he says, listen, even if your heart, even if your emotions, even if you don't feel like that sometimes, if you're saved, you're saved. It, you're not saved in your feelings. And, and yet, when we look to our feelings, and we may feel unloved, and we, not, we, may, may, we may feel like we're not saved, but John is saying, if you are saved, even your heart can't condemn you. Even how you feel won't, can't condemn you, because God is greater than our hearts. Amen. That's some good news. We are not saved because of what we have done. We are saved on God's promises. God's promise of salvation and his work in his life has nothing to do with our feelings. Listen, salvation is the deepest work God will ever do in our heart and soul. And God never does his deepest work in the shallowest parts of our life. When he saves us, he doesn't save us in our feelings. He saves us in our soul. He saves us in our spirit that bears witness with God's spirit. And when we have our feelings sometimes get in our way and we don't feel like God, God loves us and we question if God loves us, John says to you, praise God, he's bigger than your feelings. If you've been saved, he's greater than yourself. He's greater than who you are. And listen, most of us believe our salvation is so man-centered, it is based on our performance. God's salvation is not based on our performance, it's based on his promise. Our performance will never live up to God's standards, but yet his promise is always true. When God says it and he does it, that settles it. We are a child of God. And John says you can have assurance in your heart even when you don't feel like it. Even if you're doubting it, you still can have assurance because God is greater than our feelings and we're greater than our hearts. And listen, that's good news to me this morning. I hope it's good news to you because the Bible says, and 1 John says, stop trying and start trusting. Stop performing and start believing. And as we believe upon Jesus Christ and we know that we are saved, it has nothing to do with our feelings. Our feelings will go up and our feelings will go down, but God's promise is always true. Look at verse 21. As we mature in our walk, so we go from where our heart condemns us, we still know God loves us, but then John says, here's, here's the key, beloved. I want you to get to a point where if your heart, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. That's it right there. He wants us to move past our feelings, past where we believe, where we're up and down to having this confidence in God, having assurance in God. That even as if our heart has, has condemned us in the past, now it doesn't condemn us because we have trusted in God's promises and now we have confidence towards God. 
Now we start saying, not if God loves me, but I know God loves me. It's not if God is with me, it's I know God is with me. It's not if I've been forgiven, it's I have been forgiven. It's not if how, how great I can do, it's how great God can do. And we have this confidence in God, which leads to a close relationship with the Lord that brings assurance and confidence and love that you know that you can't get anywhere else. And that's the assurance that God gives us. I encourage you, if if you're struggling in your assurance and your walk with the Lord, draw nearer to God. Listen, when we draw near to God, the Bible says He will draw near to you. And most of us know this in relationships. We know that if we want to be closer to someone, then we must draw closer to them. And as we open our hearts and we draw closer to them, they will draw closer to us. The same is true with God. As we open our hearts and we draw close to God, this assurance and this confidence begins to flood our hearts. And when we walk through things in dark times, we don't look to who we are and we don't look to our performance. We look to the assurance and the confidence that we have in God, that he is who he says he is and he has done what he said he will do. Listen, we need less of us and more of God. Less of, God, less of our performance and more of God's promise in our life. And when we center ourselves on that, when we center on ourselves on God, we have this confidence. We draw near to him and he encourages us. And he also moves forward as John moves forward. He says, here's, here's three results. Here's three outpourings of being close to God and having assurance in the Lord. He says, first, you have confidence and power in your prayer life. Uh, Verse 22, he says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Listen, when we have an assurance and confidence in God and who he is, and we have a relationship with him, we have confidence and power in our prayer life. Listen, prayer is nothing but communication with God. And when we have our prayer life and it's in communion with God, what a, what a wonderful thing in our life. What, a, what an awesome thing to know that you are calling upon God and he is hearing our prayers and we are receiving from him the will of God in our life. And let me tell you, the opposite of that is true as well. If you want to see how sure of your walk with the Lord is, look, at you, look to your prayer life. Because a lot of times when we doubt God and we push God away, our prayer life goes to, to nothing. Many times we sit and we stare and we say, God, you don't, you're not hearing my prayers. God, you, my prayers are going no higher than the ceiling. And we become discouraged and we become bewildered and we begin to doubt even if prayer works. Like, why are we even praying? Because I'm not hearing from God and God's not moving in my life. God doesn't want anything to do with me. And we are out of fellowship with God and our prayer life is in the tank. And when we don't live in assurance, then we will not have a powerful power for prayer life. But when we live in assurance and we live in confidence, what does it say here? That he will hear us and he will receive it. He will answer us. Now, literally here in the Greek here, it doesn't mean he will give you everything you ask. What it means is he will give you an answer to everything that you will ask. And what do we receive? We receive those things that are in his will for our life. Listen, as we are in walk with God and we're assurance in his will, we are walking obediently to God's word. When we ask for him, we know we ask for those things because those are things God wants for our life, not things that we want for our life. And listen, when we turn self-centered in our prayer life, we pray selfishly and we want God to do what we want. Listen, many times our prayer life is weak and anemic because we tell God what we want to happen. And we don't leave room for allowing what God wants to happen. 
And listen, God doesn't say yes to all our prayers. He doesn't say yes to everything you pray for. God doesn't say yes. He's not a cosmic genie up there saying, well, how can I have, or how can you have your will done? No, we should say, God, your will be done. And many times our answer is yet, God's answer is not yes. Maybe it's a no. Boy, we hate the no's, don't we? Man, when we pray and we know that we're praying for something and God tells us no, you're like, God, please let them sell me this car for $10,000 cheaper. I know it's a sign from you. And you show up and the car's already sold. You're like, man, that was my car, God. You didn't hear my prayer. Like you, that, what happened to that? Or something you're struggling with in your life. God, take this away from me. Or, or do this for me and do that for me. And it doesn't happen. We get frustrated because we don't like the word no. And a lot of times we don't like the word wait. God doesn't say yes. And he doesn't say no, but he says wait. And man, we have to go in God's waiting room. And, and God doesn't say yes or no, uh, but he says wait. And we got to wait for, for God. The point here in the scripture is that when you're in God's will, it doesn't matter. When you pray, it might be yes, it might be no, it might be wait, but you're okay with whatever the answer is. That God, I am your servant. I am assured by your love and you have the best interest for my life. And if it's a yes, praise God. If it's a no, praise God, I didn't need it. And if it's a wait, give me strength to understand the reasoning why until I get ready for you to say yes in my life. It doesn't matter. Because when you're walking in God's will, he will answer your prayers. And the more we walk in God's will, the more our prayer life will have impact and meaning in our life. My kids always tell me, you know what, Dad? You never say yes. You always say no. I say, well, you're just asking the wrong questions. Can I take the trash out? Yes. Can I do the dishes? Yes. Can you clean your room? Yes. Man, there's lots of yeses, but they don't always ask the right questions. It's God, can I have this? And can, or dad, can I have this? And dad, can I go here? Dad, can I do this? No, it's a no. But listen, when we're doing what we, we want our father to do, then it's a yes. And we know how sweet it is when God answers those prayers and he gives us those things and we're knocking on his door and we're trusting in him. And when he says no, we accept it. When he says wait, we wait with patience and he has the best entrance in our life. When we have assurance in our relationship with God, we can have a powerful prayer life, a powerful prayer life. So we can have a powerful prayer. Also, when we walk close to God and we draw close to him, he gives us a renewed love for Jesus and others. Look at verse 23. He repeats this. I'm going to go back and count these things, but I, I, I would have to say it's into the, almost into the hundreds of times. He says, and this is his commandment, says, you shall believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You hear that over and over and over. Love Jesus and love people. Love one another. And as we draw close to God and we're assured in our love for him, he fires up our souls. Listen, as Christians, we should never get stale. We should never lose our passion or appreciation for Jesus Christ saving us. Listen, that's where it all starts. Like I said, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And somehow as Christians, we feel like we move past salvation. John is saying, listen, when you get right with God, you go back and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a one-time decision. Something you leave behind is something that should be passionate and you should have appreciation for every single day of your life. As you draw close to God, he fires you up in your faith and you want to tell others about Jesus Christ. And every morning you wake up and say, Jesus, thank you for saving my soul and let me share uh, you with other people who are around me. You want me to tell you how excited you are about Jesus Christ? Look to how many people you told about, to, told about him lately. 
Man, when we get fired up with God and when God gets fired up in our heart, we talk about Jesus. We brag about him. We're like those grandparents that always brag about their grandchildren. You know some of those people? I, like, I can't point any picture, point any fingers, but yet they, they can't stop talking about them. You know, my grandkid did this and my, let me show you a picture. Let me show you a video. And they're always talking about how great and how wonderful the grandparents are. You don't have to ask them to talk about their grandkids. They tell you about them. Listen, when we draw close to God and we realize what Jesus Christ has done for us, nobody has to tell us about Jesus Christ, tell us to talk about Jesus Christ. We brag about him. We talk about him. We tell others about him. We can't stop talking about them. And not only that, as we draw close to God, we want to talk about Jesus Christ, but we also have a love for one another. The more that I'm a pastor, the longer I'm a pastor, the more that I believe this is so true. When we are close to God, we will be close to God's people. When we are distant from God, we will be distant from God's people. You show me people who move away from God's people, and I'll show you someone who's moved away from God. And listen, it might not be just as clear in your life at first, but when our love for God begins to diminish, our love for God's people will diminish as well. And as we love God, just as John is saying here, you cannot deny, as you draw near to God, you will love God's people. You will want to serve. You will want to be around them. You will draw near to them. You will be with God's people. Love God and love people. And as you draw close to God's people, you understand that there's a a passion there that you never had before. Drawing close to God brings you closer to the Lord. Drawing close to God brings you into fellowship with God's people. And thirdly, when we draw near to God, He fills us full of His Spirit and assures us of of His work in our life. This is the neat part. Look at verse 24. It says, Now He who keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in me. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Now this commandment He talks about here, it's easy to say, hey, that's easy. We abide in Christ. But the little phrase after that's the one that gets me, and he in him. Listen, we are in Christ, but Christ literally is in us. John teaches us, the Bible teaches that when we are saved, the Holy Spirit of God indwells our heart. That literally the Spirit of God begins to live inside of us, and the Spirit of God comes, and as we surrender to God, he begins to work and change our heart. He changes our life. He changes everything about us. He comes into our life and He takes our anger and He turns it into love. He takes our bitterness and turns it into into love. He takes our sorrow and turns it into joy. He takes our impatience and turns us into patience. He takes those who are not good fathers and turns them into good fathers and not good spouses and turns them into good... How does He do that? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. That it is not us who does it. It is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And that testimony of the changing that radically changed you and me bears witness that we are not who we used to be. It is not of our own power. It is the Holy Spirit of God doing that through us. Listen, the indwelling Holy Spirit brings assurance because He does a work in our lives that we could never do on our own. And there's no denying it. Several uh, messages ago, I talked about that. When a birth comes into your family, it changes your life forever. There's no denying that a birth changes your life. And this is what John is getting at. When you draw close to God, you completely surrender to the Holy Spirit. He does things in your life that you could never imagine. 
Listen, I, I have seen God change people through the power of the Holy Spirit that has taken people and, cha- and taken them on a journey in their life to where you would just scratch your head and say, there's no possible way that person did that on their own. No way. And listen, when we have the Holy Spirit working in our life and we're drawn near to God, we're surrendering to Him, there's no denying the work that He does in our hearts and our lives. Listen, it's not Ted changing his life and serving God. It's not Ted doing these things. It is the Holy Spirit of God inside of me that does these things. And in your heart and your life, you don't have to try to perform. You just have to surrender. You surrender surrender the Holy Spirit of God, and he will take that spirit. He will change you and turn you into a totally different person. I say this jokingly, somewhat. But my mom, you know, when, she, when I was growing up, uh, we always go over and take my kids over to grandma's house, and I'll say something about grandma, and they're saying, not grandma. She never gets mad. I was like, wait a minute. You, you didn't know the mom, Lorraine, all right? <laughs> you know the grandma, Lorraine. And grandma will fix me this, and grandma will do this for me, and grandma will do that for me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, mom did this to me, and mom will do this to me, and mom did this to me. And not that it's so much different, but that you see a difference in the relationship between a mom and a son and a grandmother and their children. And listen, it's so true, just the same way that when we come to Jesus Christ, there should be such a difference in our life that people won't even believe that that's the same person. And listen, this is the way you used to be, but in your heart, you are so radically different because the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart and life has changed you into something you never would ever believe you could ever come, ever. And John says, these are the confidence that you have. This is the assurance that you should have in your life. As you draw near to God, you should see your prayer life be powerful. As you draw near to God and have confidence and assurance in Him, you would love God and love people. And you draw near to God, you will be full of His Spirit. He will change your life that no one, anyone ever of any time could ever deny that something has changed in your life. And listen, when we come to that and we think about that, that should give us confidence. That should give us assurance, not in ourselves, not in our performance, but that is God who has worked in our life that has done something we can never do and we cannot deny. Listen, as we begin to consider these things, going back to the very first thing that we said, when we look to what John is talking about here, maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, that's the way that I am. I believe I was saved, but sometimes I feel like it and sometimes I feel like I'm not. And listen, you, that's a rough road to ride because when you're not really sure of your love or someone's love for you, it goes up and down, up and down. I can remember Aaron and I first got married. We, were only, we only dated for less than uh, just four or five months, and then we got married. And I can remember our first argument that we had, and she went to work the next day, and she was late getting home from work that next day, and I thought... Maybe she's not coming back. <laughs> like, maybe I pushed her too far. And next thing you know, all of a sudden she came home. And next thing you know, time after time after time. And it's taken me a while. But after 21 years of being married, the confidence and assurance that I have in her and our relationship now is greater than it's ever been. And listen, as, when we first get married and you first have that argument, you first have that uh, 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 disagreement and you feel like the whole world is crashing down and, and, and that may, uh, may not ever be fixed or may not ever come back together, but time after time after time after God works and your relationship grows and you become closer and closer and closer, you know that you know that you know that they love you, they care for you. You have assurance of that. You have 21 years of experience. You have 21 years of, uh, of assurance. The same is true with your salvation. 
You start out, and as God begins to work in your life, you may be up and you may be down. You might feel guilty and you might not feel guilty. But, but John is saying, let's grow past that. Let's get mature in our faith to that. When we get to a point that our heart don't condemn us, then we can really live the life that God wants us to live. We can be sure of our, faith, our prayer life. We can be, have power in our prayer life. We can be sure of our salvation and we love people. And we can be sure that we have these, that the Holy Spirit of God is working in our life. So maybe you're here this morning, you just need to say, you know what, Lord? I need to know that I know that I know. And listen, I encourage you, if you come to a point where you say, you know what, there's never been a time in my life when I've really called upon the name of Jesus Christ. As First John would say, as the Gospel of John would say, as Jesus would say, as Paul would say, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost. And secondly, if you don't have that assurance, ask God for that assurance. Say, God, I don't want to be up and down. I don't want to be feel saved, not feel saved. I want your assurance. I want to know that I know that I know. And then thirdly, God, I want to draw close to you. Give me power in my prayer life. Give me love for you and give me a love for God's people. And let me be changed by the Holy Spirit as I surrender my heart to you. And may God have all the glory because he's greater than anything I could ever do on my own. God has saved me. Let's pray together this morning.